0: But in that dark place, there is this pinprick of light that is God. And if you will lock your eyes on that pinprick of light, he will step by step lead you out of that darkness back into the light.
1: Hi, friend. Welcome to another episode of the 8,000 Promises podcast. I'm your host, Aidy Tilford. I'm a Jesus-led, trauma-informed educator, leader, and writer serving God in my local community and church. If you believe like I do that this world needs safe spaces to talk about God, faith in action, and complex topics so that transformative change can take place, this podcast is for you. You'll hear from a range of guests, experts in fields of psychology and faith, and everyday friends with meaningful stories to tell. In this series, you'll hear deep conversation and supplemental writings from people who are amplifying voices, partnering with God in ways that help others know that God sees and hears every person, including you. So when you're ready, lean in and embrace what God has for you today. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of 8,000 Promises. It's eighty here, and I'm jumping on real quick to give you a little preview of today's conversation with my beautiful guest with a rebel heart and a serious gift for meaningful metaphors, Stephanie Jordan. Today, Stephanie and I talk about how God's intimate love and care for her was found in her journey, first of divorce and then widowhood. She shares about her ministry, the garbage can, and the tsunami-like experience of your closest person dying. And most importantly, Stephanie shares some really practical ways for you to care for the widows or widowers in your community. Before we get going, I do have a quick favor to ask, and it's a favor that will help get Stephanie's message to more people. And it will also make sure that you don't miss anything that's happening here on the 8,000 Promises podcast. Will you take a minute to make sure you're following the show? If you have a couple of minutes, you can make sure to give a five-star review, of course, or even to write a review that shares how much this means to you. You could also send this episode in a text message to someone you love or share it with them via email or on social media. Anything you can do to help get this message into the world is helpful. So here's a little bit more about Stephanie. Stephanie Jordan is an author, teacher, and speaker. She has been a cosmetologist for 24 years. She has five amazing kids. She has two dogs and two cats. Stephanie has broad life experiences and likes adventure. She loves Jesus and intends to spend her life sharing his message in unconventional ways. Her artistic and rock and roll style influence her outlook on life and living it to the full. She is passionate about writing her Harley Davidson Sportster 48. I don't know what that is, Stephanie. And reading, writing, and painting. Thanks for choosing to spend your time listening to this conversation. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me on the 8,000 Promises podcast. I am so grateful that you are here.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you.
1: Yes, Uh, let's just jump right in to our first question of the day. So I know that you spent a lot of your life doing other people's hair, which probably included some really fun events like homecomings, or I imagine in Texas there might be a few wonderful events that you got to style people. So. Also, this is airing right at about the time of uh, all the award shows and red carpets. So if you showed up at your job tomorrow and there was a red carpet entry, what would you wear and how would you style your hair?
0: I definitely believe hair, you pick the dress and then put the hair to go with it. So... um. If I was entering on a red carpet, believe it or not, I am kind of a traditionalist when it comes to beauty. Like I love 1950s retro. So I would probably wear like a green velvet or black velvet, very tight fitting dress. Maybe I should make say that this age, it wouldn't need to be too tight. <laughs> In my head, I'm making that up, right? And it's I would a dream. Probably, it, it's a dream. You can do it. I probably have. have victory rolls and do a very like 1940s, 50s glamour type of hair.
1: Mm, I love that. And Since you can't see Stephanie, you have to know that she has layered beautiful colors in her hair. So I'm imagining those victory rolls and all the color that they would contribute to your glamour look. That's so fun. Yes. Yeah. I actually, if I was red carpeting, I feel like I'd probably be like pantsuit girl or something like that, but I don't know. I don't really have anywhere to dress up like that anymore, but maybe one day awesome thanks for giving us a little insight into your dream red carpet attire <laughs> you know I did a little intro about you and our conversation today uh, but would you give our listeners a snapshot of of you and who you are and yeah why you have a message to share
0: so uh, broad stroke broad spectrum is I'm a hot mess that has a rebel heart to the core that Mm -hmm. God has pursued and softened the edges and uses that to propel his story. And I am grateful for how much he has um, given me grace. So I grew up in a Christian home But my very rebel heart thought that I, I got this, like I can do it my way. You know, like I knew that God was very real. I knew that Jesus was very real and I had a great love for them as long as they weren't telling me what to do. Right. Because I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. And so I came into adulthood making one bad, dumb decision after the neck. And I really came into adulthood just thinking I could have fun. That was my perspective. Like fun was everything. And, um, Proverbs says a foolish man will have a fill of himself. And buddy, did I end up having a full fill of myself? So I married an alcoholic. I didn't know anything about alcoholism and everybody I was around drank. I was the only Christian and I was really never into drugs and alcohol, but that's just what everybody did. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And then once we got married, it was bad. He was probably in jail on the average of every three months with public intoxications and all sorts of stuff. And it was just chaos. And then he ended up beating me up when I was pregnant with my oldest child. And I prayed that night. I said, God, if you get me and my baby out of here alive, I will never go back. And so I tried to work the marriage out for two years and he was never going to get help. He, I mean, he never even attempted. He passed away last year of alcoholism. He never, never once did rehab or anything to try and get help. And And so after my divorce, God called me to marry my next husband and we built a heck of a life together and had four more kids and um, he was larger than life. Like he was just, once you met him, you never forget him. You know what I mean? Like you just, he was just that type of personality. And he just had this beautiful way of penetrating hearts. Now, don't get me wrong. He was a royal pain in my tail. Like I wanted I, I wanted to divorce him no less than at least 1 million times. Like he drove me nuts. He was a lot to handle, but he taught me more about love than I ever could have imagined or learned in any other way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um he passed away in December of 2014. And so then I became a widow with five kids. Mm-hmm. And I had a storefront and I was homeschooling and God is the only reason that I'm sane at all. And it's just been a very interesting journey through life. <laughs> Sounds Like you have
1: lived uh, a rebel life, like you said, from the beginning. And yet in that God met you with love and generosity and joy. Yes. And, and, and you're coming up on this, or you're in the midst of the nine year anniversary of your husband's passing. What was his name? Jay. Jay. Jay's passing.
0: So thanks for being here in this tender time. Thank you. It's it's this season. I always don't, you know, I don't always know where I'm going to be at emotionally. So I try and give myself a lot of grace Yeah. at this time. Yeah. I
1: can imagine. Yeah.
0: The anniversary seasons are always a bit like that where
1: we don't know how they're going to show up, but thank you for that snapshot and insight into your life to where you are right now. This season that we're in is called Amplify Hearing and Seeing Everyone. And that one is capitalized, fully capitalized in the thought that God gets so intimate with us and he meets us in the micro spaces of our lives. And that actually can be really intimidating for people who've experienced a great deal of loss or uncertainty or unexpected stories, like marrying into a situation you don't understand how to navigate. Like, it sounds like you've had that as well. So the word amplify means to increase the amount of, to become more marked or intense. When you think about that word amplify, what comes to your mind within the context of your own story, your ministry or your daily life even,
0: I think amplify is a great word, especially when you put that definition with it, because um I've always I've always said I live out loud, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the the idea of amplify, even taking it into an amplifier, I feel like where I am at is I am now meant to be the amplifier to how God has amplified my life. And so now it's time to share the story. God always tells me, hang on and watch what I'm going to do with this. Cause it's going to blow your mind. Mm. And the thought that, um, I hear people tell me all the time. They're like, nobody cares to hear what I have to say. Nobody cares to hear what I have to say. And I'm like, that's a lie from the devil <laughs> because Your story is totally unique to you. Nobody else has lived your story from your perspective, with your experience, with your mind and your heart. And so to me, that term amplify is to take what we've been given and multiply it out to be that testimony for the Lord and amplifying it by speaking and not being ashamed or afraid, I think is really where I kind of see that living out in my own life is the ability to be out there. So it
1: sounds like you see your ministry and especially in this, in the teaching and writing space as one that you are modeling how to give a testimony. And you said that you've always lived out loud. So has it been hard at all? Or have you found any challenges around that idea of like, I'm I'm gonna share my testimony. Uh, okay, what does that even mean or look like? I'm gonna write a book. I mean, have you had any of those moments where you feel like, this
0: is big, God, <laughs> really? Well, so my last book that I've just launched, The Death Tsunami, I mean, I just, I just cried and sobbed the whole entire time that I wrote it. I mean, it was a lot like reliving it and it was, my very first line in the book was I was not ready to write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, things definitely feel too big for me at times and I just have to trust that it's not really about me. Mm. And I just have to know that the story matters. Like when we read the Bible, you know, what are we gravitated to? The most is the stories that are in there, right? Like, we're so thankful when we meet somebody out of the Bible that we're like, oh, I can relate to that guy. Like, he was a mess or she was a mess or she was so strong and she was so brave or, you know, whatever. And, and so I look at it from that perspective that this is really God's story that he just wrote through me and uh, I will let it be big on him and not big on me.
1: Mm. So that makes me think of Jesus saying, you know, if for whoever is weary and burdened, let them come to me and and rest. I will give them rest. Take my yoke upon you because it it's, it's light and almost this idea that, yeah, you know what? The testimony you're going to share is it is big. And to amplify that into the world is, is big, but actually I'm going to carry that for you. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And thank you because that's hard work to do. One of the things I really thought about in the concept of this, this topic is the fact that simply telling our stories is an amplification and it, it really is one of the ways that we help other people in the world know about Jesus and that their voices do matter. Cause that was something you said early on that you hear people say that. And I lived in that for many years of my life that my voice doesn't matter. And then here, God says, why don't you preach and talk in front of people? Why don't you do this podcast and learn that your voice matters? Yes. And yeah. This is the other thing it's making me think of. I gave a sermon on the woman at the well And then during this fall, I was back in John for rereading the story of the woman at the well. And at the same time I was reading Beth Moore's memoir, all my knotted up life. So I was reading those at the same time in John reading about the woman at the well who has a backstory that has often been interpreted that she uh, has had many husbands and is really kind of unfaithful to her husband. And I've heard some new interpretations that I love that uh, have been referenced throughout this new version of the podcast. And essentially, the point of the story is that all these people listen to her testimony and they go and meet Jesus. And then at the very end of the passage of John 4, these people say, it's not because of your testimony anymore that I believe. It's because I met Jesus and I know for myself that he's the savior of the world. And that's kind of what I preached about was this idea that it doesn't matter what our testimony is. It matters that we give our testimony because that's what takes people to Jesus. But here I was reading Beth Moore's memoir, and she's the first person in ministry who ever talked about being sexually abused as a child, the the first woman I ever heard say that. I remember sitting and listening to her saying like in my head, wait a minute, if God can partner with her in the way that he has, and she has that same story, maybe there's hope for me like this moment. But then as I'm reading her memoir and I'm thinking about this story of the woman at well, and I'm like, it's not because of her story anymore. It is because I have met Jesus and I have walked with him and I know he is for me and he is the savior of the world. And it was a really beautiful, profound moment.
0: I love that. I that's listened. so true. Yeah. I launched a church this year called the garbage can. And I love I that. Say, <laughs> I, love your,
1: I love your the title of your church. It's so great. Thank
0: <laughs> you. And um, if you ever want to launch one, that's my heart. My goal is that there will be one everywhere. So I mean, you need garbage cans everywhere. Okay. So just
1: stop right there. We have to hear more about this ministry, the garbage can, because I mean, it's a church called the garbage can. Tell us about that.
0: Okay. So if you have ever felt like garbage, have been treated like garbage or feel like you are garbage, Mm -hmm. we are for you. And so what we do is we answer the questions who, what, when, where, why, and how for scripture. So all of our teachings are straight out of the Bible. You know, you can't steal one of our teachings. You can't uh, what plagiarize one of our teachings. It's just scripture. That's what we teach. And so we just break it down. Like if we're in John, we'll talk about when John was written and how, and so we answer the questions to the scripture and As, as we develop and grow, the plan will be that we will actually have a human sized garbage can. That's a confessional (laughs) because I feel like we, the Protestants especially have lost the art of confession, right Mm -hmm. now. We don't believe in rosary. We believe that Jesus has fully paid for all of our sins, but the art of confession allows you, I mean, the Bible talks about confess your sins to each other. Yeah. And so the art of confession, we don't we just don't have that. So having this place, this intimate space where you can bring your garbage that is mm-hmm. literally a human-sized garbage can is to me just a representation of of trashing that stuff out of your life. And and we do a lot of learning about Jewish traditions, feasts. And the things that Jesus would have celebrated, we talk a lot about that. And so there is definitely a, I guess, hybrid of many different practices, but brought together kind of in one alternative way. Yeah.
1: With a metaphor that really speaks to the brokenhearted.
0: Yes. That's so cool. That is our, that's our heart. Like we meet in a bar downtown. We don't, we don't want to be in churches as we grow and develop. Our heart will be that we will always just be in businesses that already exist. The plan is to never get large, like you can't ever have more than 150 people because you can't lead more than 150 people. And all the leadership is based off fivefold ministry. So there has to be all five elements apostle, teacher, prophet, evangelist and pastor. So <laughs> that's the goal is that all garbage cans will have that five fold covering. So you have five leaders, there's not one. Um and and really just yeah, going after the brokenhearted people are, that are tired of church junk, you know. Yeah. And there's such a need
1: for that. I love when churches meet in places like bars and it's about going the to the places where Jesus would have been. And I think there is a need for the traditional church. That is a real beautiful space that many people need. And it, there are needs for churches that are like the garbage can. Yes. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing about it. Well, that was a little sidestep from what we had originally talked about going to. But will you tell us a little bit more about The Death Tsunami. This is your newest book. People can get it on Amazon. There's a link in the show notes. And it's tender. And we are going to be talking about widowhood. And we want to make sure that you, dear listener, take care of your needs. Uh, I have my box of tissues ready for this conversation, should they be needed. And I just uh, want to say bravo to Stephanie for sharing her journey of loss with us. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Yeah. So um the death tsunami is basically a, a short snap of mine and Jay's story in life, and then building up to um his loss and his death, and then how what I learned through the death of my husband, what I learned about life and what I learned about death. So the book kind of encompasses all of that because one of the beauties about god is he promises to bring us beauty for ashes right and so back in the jewish culture ashes represented mourning and if someone was sitting in ashes they were in a process of mourning And we don't have any modern day representation of that. You know, even up probably until the 1800s, people would wear black for a period of mourning. And our culture today is just like, oh, that never happened. Let's just keep going. You just Mm -hmm. keep going to work. You just keep paying bills. You just keep going, 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 going. You know, we don't, there's no sense of like, whoa, your world just got tsunamied which is what the death tsunami stands for. Because what happens when death comes in, death is a spiritual principle. And I need you to hear my heart on this. Death and divorce are not the same. Please do not equate death and divorce. If you hear somebody has lost someone to death, lost their spouse, do not say I'm divorced. I understand. One, I've been both. Divorced and widowed, and I can tell you they're not the same. Two, Jesus did not come to defeat divorce. Jesus came and died to defeat death in Hades. There's a spiritual principle of death when it visits you and takes somebody that you love, you care about, you depend on. There is nothing worse. It annihilates everything in its path emotionally physically mentally spiritually annihilation as far as you can see and that's the death tsunami Mm -hmm. and then of course the bible talks about the valley of the shadow of death and that is after death has already come is that you're left in this valley that is so dark it is a darkness that we can't physically comprehend on earth but probably the closest thing you could think of is being in a room with no windows and no light source access at all right and i even talk about this in my book the when death comes to your home and takes your husband or your kids that is the closest thing to hell a believer can ever experience on earth because hell is separation from God, right? And it says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you have ever seen someone mourn, genuinely mourn the loss of someone they love, there is weeping. It's okay
1: because I'm getting my
0: tissues. And gnashing of teeth. And that is what exactly what what we experience if we're going to go to hell, is you're going to experience what that feeling is like forever. But in that dark place, there is this pinprick of light that is God. And if you will lock your eyes on that pinprick of light, he will step by step lead you out of that darkness back into the light and it is literally when when the bible says it is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that is exactly the picture image is like you have this it's just the next step and god just takes you that next step one by one by one and lead you back out of that darkness. But it takes time. It -hmm. takes time. And so you have to be gracious and patient with yourself.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm just going to sit for a second
1: in the moment. One of the things I really want to do this season is create a little space to hold hold those emotions because i think we we run away from death in our culture and it's impossible to run away from because it's going to it's going to be an experience every person encounters yes You said a few things that I really appreciate. Number one, I have never heard anyone say how important and critical it is to not describe divorce and death as the same thing. I think death gets used metaphorically a lot and like big losses of big dreams, but there is a difference. And maybe you have some thoughts on how might a person talk about those devastating losses that are not death without using death as the language, you know, do you have some suggestions of language?
0: I think that it's not that I don't think that like saying the death of a dream or the death of our future is necessarily wrong. Unfortunately, English is limited, right? (laughs) Where there are probably... way better fitting words in other languages and in English, just like love. We love pizza. We love our kids, right? Like there's no distinction where Hebrew has distinctions, right? There's agape and phileo, eros, you know? So there's distinctions on what type of love you're talking about. And unfortunately we just don't have that broad spectrum of language. I think the fairest thing to do is to... Just not equate the two. Like if you're talking with somebody and they said, oh, I've lost my spouse just to be like, you know, that's a terrible experience. And I'm sorry that happened to you. Or, you know, that's a devastating experience, but not feel the need to be like, oh, well, I get what you must be feeling like, you know what I'm saying? And just not compare the two and just let them sit and, in, in their story. Mm-hmm. Right. And just kind of get into their story with them.
1: That's such sound advice for any grief or loss anyone's bringing to the table, right? Each of us has our own story. Each of us has our own way of processing grief. And the thing you need most when you are going through that is not someone who is in solidarity as far as I totally get you. Cause this thing that's kind of like your thing. And I, listen, I say that with full like uh, transparency that I have totally done that, you know? Sure, so, yeah. Culturally, I think we, empathy means to tell somebody you get it. But, you know, I think Brene Brown is one of the best teachers around empathy, actually being that you can sit in a space with someone and you yes. don't have to have the same story And you can understand grief and loss from your own story and perspective, because each of those things we're talking about, they are grief producing because of the loss, but the level is shifting and different based on the the situation and to just let someone have their story, no matter what it is. If someone's telling you about infertility, it doesn't have to be the same as a miscarriage. Those are different things kind of, you know, so just being able to know that we all go through
0: grief and loss, every human. That's correct. And I don't want to diminish how devastating divorce can be. So please don't hear me saying that. Divorce is devastating. When my ex and I divorced, it was like ripping my arms and legs off my body. It was absolutely terrible. So I am not at all diminishing the pain that comes along with divorce. I'm just saying they're not the same and don't, don't equate the two because we have kind of distorted it in our culture as though they are the same. And they're, they're not like, I was not a single mom. I was a widowed mom. There was not an every other weekend. There was not child support. There was not any sort of support. I was a widowed mom and going through not only was I having to walk through this dark place, I was having to carry five kids with me as well. And yeah. so there's there's just um just like what you were saying, there's a there's a place for us to sit. And I have people tell me all the time they're like I don't even know why I'm complaining to you. I haven't been through anything like what you went through. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Everybody's pain is their greatest. Yes. So you can't diminish your hurt and pain just because it wasn't as big as mine.
1: And how do you get to decide if it's as big or not? Because. Right. Yeah. I think you're really, you're talking about both sides of it, where we want to have this comparison come in. Right. Oh, I don't have it as bad. And sometimes I think that gets you as, as a tool of, oh, I, that gets me through to the next step. I don't have it as bad as such and such. Instead of us saying, we all are in the walk. Yes. And yes. your walk has a lot of pain right now. I've had pain in my walk at times. And right now I have space to hold your pain with you. Yes. And that's a gift and honoring of itself. Because some days, like you said, you're not sure how this season's going to approach. Some days it's really hard. Yes. And some days I'm living okay. And I'm in the joy, even though it's hard.
0: That's right. That's yeah. right. I'm. There were a lot of beautiful lessons and beautiful things that God did in my widowhood journey. And really, I'm on a journey right now. I didn't think I could have, I have a crazier journey with God than a widowhood with five kids, but I think I've made it there. (laughs) And, and I needed that. When
1: you define yourself as a rebel, you're, you're like, I just,
0: it's like, this is going to be a good story. I needed that widowhood, that surviving that widowhood to, to be able to walk the journey I'm in now. Mm. And so it's like, God has developed. I was, I was told not to marry my ex-husband. I just didn't know that was God telling me. I was not, um, I, I grew up Baptist. I didn't, know about God talking to you and audibly talking to you and prophetic wisdom or any of that sort of stuff so before I married my ex God told me not to marry him I did it anyway because who's God to tell me anything right I mean isn't that our question that's what Pharaoh says to God who are you God who are you to tell me what to do like I mean, that's like the, the biggest question, the Pharisees, same thing, like, who is this God, you know, who are you? And so I think that's really, that boils down to our biggest question is who are you God? And so that's where, how I was living at the time Mm. and then surviving my divorce experience and everything that came with that led me into the space with, with Jay And then my widowhood led me into my space now. And so what we were talking about a little bit ago about the garbage can is I constantly say I am fully disqualified, fully disqualified. If you want somebody that is pulled together to share the gospel of Jesus with you, I am fully disqualified. You won't find anything in my story that is going to validate to you that I am somehow qualified to tell the story except for the fact that God is merciful and the Holy spirit is powerful in my life. And Jesus came and has redeemed everything I have done and will do in the future. And I rest in that, you know, and you look back at like Jacob, who he renames Israel and builds his whole nation. Jacob was the biggest liar schemer. I mean, he was terrible. And I just know that God can use a story that's a hot stinking mess. And I am, I'm disqualified to do it, but the journey has been incredible and I am anticipating miracles in the future with God. And that doesn't mean that the journey itself isn't hard, but the hope is what we cling to, you know? Yeah.
1: So the metaphor of the tsunami, I think, is something really profound. My parents lost a child when my mom was pregnant with me in an accident. And when you were describing it, that's the emotion that was coming out of your description was making me think a lot about the work God has been doing with me on the healing specifically about the, the death of my sister and your description of a tsunami gives a new image to what my family went through and to then being born as a baby and entering into that wreckage after the tsunami. Right. I was born five months after her death and so my family was trying to probably still go through the debris of it, right? Like they were in pickup phase. So I think your, your metaphor and the way you talked about it, it gave me a real sense of an experience that I lived, but I don't have language for. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that because it's tender and it's hard, but it was really beautiful. And so I just want to thank you for Creating a little more clarity in my own story, so I hope that does. So the other piece that you said that I loved was that there was this little light. Um, another sermon that I gave uh, was about the woman who had been bleeding for twelve years. That is parallel with the man whose twelve-year-old daughter dies. Yes. Right. And the way that I experienced the learning in that sermon was kind of exactly what you said, this step after step following Jesus, because he, he get this father gets told that his daughter dies. And, and I think that's a tsunami moment, right? He was tsunamied, but Jesus was standing with him in the tsunami. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just come with me step after step. And that, when you said that, and you said, there's this little light and step after step. When you were going through that time, how did you know the light was God? What did that look like in real life? What were some of the things that
0: you could tell us? Maybe a few things. So one of the things, so I, God has given me an ability to have spiritual eyes. And so I literally could see a pinprick of light in the darkness, like in a literal sense. I'm also an artist, so I'm very visually minded. But one of the things is my heart felt like a tumbleweed. You know, I had been a wife for 10 and a half years with Jay and, um, and then he wasn't there anymore. And it's like my heart, had nowhere to land and i i kept telling god i was like my heart feels like a tumbleweed like it's just rolling around looking for somewhere to land and i said i need you to take it and hold it into your hands until until it's safe again because i can't trust myself with this tumbleweed and so this that was one of the things that i guess grace's protection um that he took me through was he, he took a hold of my heart for me and I didn't feel like I had to find something somewhere to put it right. Which is a lot of times what widows or widowers do. They'll just remarry really fast. They hop into relationships really fast and it's just because the heart has nowhere to land. And so, um, you know, you can, you can replace the position. You can't replace the person, right? When it comes to spouse loss. Now, obviously with child loss, that is not the same thing, but with spousal loss, you can get another husband. You can get another wife. You never replace the person, but you can replace the position. Okay, And so that's what a lot of people will try and do really fast is because in their head, they're still a husband or they're still a wife. And so they want to fill that position because that's what feels normal. Okay. And we just have this tendency to like gravitate toward that. And so part of God just walking step by step with me and just being that light, that next step was taking a hold of my heart and keeping it safe. And another another pinprick moment was that I was able to manage. I I mean, there were days I didn't get up until five minutes before I had to go to work. And there were days, the first month after he passed away, I wore the same pants every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I was just, I was so decision fatigued that was my decision. I'm wearing these same pants every day. Not a single person even noticed or cared. So if you're in a hard place, wear the same pants. Nobody cares. I love not that. A single That's a person. Point.
1: That's great advice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm and, actually going to hold on to that. <laughs> yes. It's
1: <a> hard time. <laughs> wear the same pants.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wear the same pants. Nobody cares. Nobody, uh, seriously, nobody cares.
1: Seriously. Um, I am not seriously. watching what pants people are wearing. I have never That's- once been like, oh, That's what the pants are today, you know,
0: (laughs) I know it's pressure on ourselves. And I just, so it was graces like that, which again, my rebel heart probably plays into because I, I just have so few cares about what other people say or think about me that I could wear the same pants every day. And I didn't care. Even if someone had said something to me about it, I would have been like, well, let your husband die on you. And let's see if you care about your pants. Like, you know, I mean, that's a trump card, right? Yes. Nobody can argue with that. Uh, so,
1: okay, yes.
0: <laughs> so it's it's things like that that were just small little graces. you know, I just showed up, and God worked out all the details. There's no reason my my business did not crumble and fall. I literally did not have a complete thought for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I remember a guy came in one day to he wanted to shoot an ad in my salon. And I just sat there and watched him walk away, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is so not like me. Like, normally I would have been like a tiger pouncing on that mess. You know what I mean? And like, being like, yes, let's do it. How are we going to make it happen? And a lot of that. And I just watched him walk away. And so my tagline became love, hard, and forgive grace for everybody especially in those really dark hard places you just have to find the place of grace and and people are not necessarily going to understand and you may not even be able to tell them what they they need to know because at the time I couldn't I could not have like if you had said hey Stephanie I need a list like I'm going to be at your house every day and I need a list I still couldn't have made it but it was little things like that. My, my business should have closed. My kids and I should have fallen apart. We should have lost everything and we didn't. And every day I just did the best that I could do. And God met me and filled in gaps. And another light in the darkness was I quit thinking that I could control anything with my children I mean, you want to talk, there's nothing that will take the pressure off of you of being like a fantastic mom, other than not being able to complete a a thought (laughs) and not having two people. I mean, how is one person supposed to take care of five people? I couldn't, I couldn't. And I just had to trust that God filled in all the gaps. I had an eight month old and a two-year-old, like they were dominating, you know, they took every ounce of the energy that I did have. And so I just had to trust that God would do everything for my kids. I just did what I could and the rest, I just rested on God. And kind of what I was talking about earlier, I learned how big God is (laughs) during this journey and that I can just trust him to take care of that stuff. I don't have to have it all under control and figure it all out and have all the details. And really that's just me making God in my own life, right? If I've got it all under control, why do I need God? Yeah, And so he just showed me in that, and through that journey and that pinprick light, like I got this, I've got you, I've got your kids, I've got this life. You just do your next step. That's all you're responsible for. Stephanie is that next step. I'll take care of everything else. You're not big enough.
1: Oh, dang. So you really saw this macro God through the micro intimacy of your life. Yeah. So much of what I write about is trust and learning to trust. And that's been so much of my journey. And I think it really started from this place of being a tiny little baby uh, in the midst of a tsunami. Like, how do you trust that God is is good, you know, and just so many things. But I stood at this retreat center in Chicago, and I was in front of this giant poster of Jesus that said, Jesus, I trust in you. And I had this encounter where it was like, I really want that to be true. yeah. And I have been trying really hard to have that be true, God. And I am still trying to control everything. And the message that just keeps coming is I actually will take care of it. If you will let me. Yes. If you will let me. And you think like, why do we have to go through these really hard things to like trust that God really will take care of it. And my counselor has said, it's because God doesn't always take care of it the way we would. That's exactly right. And so, yes, God will take care of everything, but it's not always the way we would pick it or, the way we would choose it, and so then we think it's not being taken care of. Yep. But that's
0: that's just not true.
1: Okay, you so, wrote a blog
0: about that this morning. You did. My, my blog, my it should come out today or tomorrow. But my blog post is just about um the the never ending whys when we've experienced like loss and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like you know, just why did this happen to me, and why the whys that come in and sometimes there's not an answer and that just doesn't sit well with us.
1: Yeah. I just read Kurt Thompson's anatomy of the soul also over sabbatical. And uh, he actually says, stop asking why, like that's, that's not the question that will help you integrate anything. So we don't, there's just too much mystery around why. And which is funny because I've always been a why girl.
0: Me too. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Like you, I had a strong death. My my dad died when I was four, so that could be why you and I are why girls, right? Because we we came into a situation where there was no answer, yeah, and so we wanted answers. Why? So
1: you know, we scripture says that we are called to care for the widow. The the widow is a person who, during the time of that scripture writing, would have been a marginalized woman, someone who maybe didn't have anyone but God to care for her. Could you give us a thought? Uh, you've actually already given a few. So you've said we need to hold space for the the grieving woman. We need to be thoughtful about not trying to judge and compare our losses against hers, but just let her be in her story. What might be one other thing we could, or maybe a practical tip. You did say, show up, just be present, right? Don't ask for lists. Don't ask. I actually have heard that a lot. Don't ask people what they need because they don't even know how to answer you. That's right. But you're on the other side. What did you need? What's something we could provide that you did need?
0: I mean I needed a man right so I needed my yard mode I needed my boys to have somebody to take them to do boy things I tried to sign up for big brothers and big sisters and nothing they just sent me an email like we're not even talking to you and here I had a boy that was 13 and a boy that was seven at the time and um And so nobody showed up for my boys. And actually my oldest, I actually messaged the youth director at the time. And he basically told me he was about to get married and he was too busy. And I was like, wow. And, and here's the thing is there were a lot of people that showed up, but there were not people that showed up to be a man representative for my, for my boys that took on the cause of raising and helping me co-raise these boys. And here's, here's the thing is God is a father, right? If you're a man, you're made in the image of God. Your call is to be a father. (laughs) It's not like if you feel like it, or if you like the person. And I was very strict about not engaging. I wanted people to engage with my sons without me being involved with it. Right. I didn't want to talk to some lady's husband I was not looking for somebody to be there for me as a man. I wanted them to be there for my boys as a man, you know, and um, it, that just didn't happen. And I feel like the church is not going to be able to be like, oh, well, we just didn't know better. And that be an excuse when God says, why have you not, where were you? Why did you not engage?
1: You like he said, they're not. My people are not perfect. My people are filled with insufficiency. Right. And the only one it I, th- this is coming to mind, this message of like, we were never meant to carry everything. Yes. And we try to anyway, That's And even as a church body, sometimes we think we can carry it all, but we can't. Although I think we could do much better also on behalf of the church. I'm sorry that you were not supported. And listening to you actually makes me think about not knowing how truly, even though, yeah, it feels like there's not, it feels excusey, but I think like, oh, wow. I have a friend who went through the loss of a husband. And I think about her or any person who are the men stepping up were there. I don't know because I didn't even think about that. Although I did also have a new friend who is new into widowhood. Her children are grown and she has said the exact same thing that you've said first. I need a handyman. I need yeah. someone who can do the jobs he did.
0: Actually, I'm hoping at some point, And if you will pray for me that I, I would love to pull together something that churches actually could purchase because I have five kids and I need to make a living, (laughs) but that is like, Hey, this is a structure for your church to put in place, to help with widows and orphans. Mm, And that that I can speak from experience and from perspective, like every week a man needs to show up at the house, but the difference between widowhood and a lot of other things is that It's years in, you're talking years of investment. You're not talking about six months or, you know, a year. You're talking about the long haul relationshiping. And that is why I think our culture tries to avoid it like the plague.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seriously, Stephanie, I feel like we could talk for a million years. (laughs) We probably could. There's so much... There's so much rich, thoughtful, needed, necessary information here. Thank you for for sharing that. Is there anything before we go, just time-wise, <laughs> is there anything before we go that you really want to make sure to say to the listener today?
0: I just want you to know that, that God is with you and he is a big God. And you do not have to be the God of your life because he will, he will do it all for you. He is trustworthy and faithful and restorative and a redeemer. And no matter what your walk is, no matter how scary it may be, no matter how fearful you may feel in it, I promise you that you can trust him with it. If you will just keep your eyes locked and loaded and let him be God of your life. He will carry you through it all. I promise you.
1: The final question that I want to ask this season for Amplify, I think really will help amplify how we see God present in those micro moments of our lives. And it's a spiritual practice in which we go on a God hunt. From Karen Burton Main's book, Making Sunday Special, And so basically, the more we share these times where we see God at work, it will build our capacity for seeing and recognizing how God is moving in our daily lives. So my hope is that as each person in the season shares these God hunts, it will maybe help us develop more faith that God is actually with us, especially in those tsunamis. So maybe help us see the pinpricks of light that you talk about when we're in the darkest times. So will you share a story from your life in which you have seen God on the move more recently?
0: So really one cool thing that God's been working with me is in gratitude. And what I'm learning is like to be grateful for, for where we're at and, in everything. So for example, I don't love the area that I live in. Right. And so I have grumbled about it a lot and God is like, but look at that sunset. It's beautiful, you know, and capturing my heart in ways that I haven't seen before. And I didn't realize that I was such a spoiled brat. <laughs> and I I was very ungrateful and just had a this heart of like I'm not doing what I want to be doing, I'm not living where I want to be living, I'm not I, you know just focusing a lot of what I don't have, what I'm not doing and instead of it being like oh, this is amazing. Like what a grace this is like, I didn't lose my house. Right. And like, I still have my house and that's a grace. That was a huge, just thing to be grateful for. And is it exactly what I thought, or does it look exactly the way that I thought it would look? No, but that doesn't make it less beautiful. And so really learning to be grateful in the, the space of grace that God gives us. Like I wake up with breath every morning. I wake up with my five kids. I mean, my oldest doesn't live here anymore, but like I get to talk to them every day and, you know, just all these beautiful graces, like we have food to eat and we have, um, peace in our home, which is huge. And just All of these things that I've kind of always taken for granted, God is really beginning to magnify in my life and to show me to be grateful and thankful for these things. And so instead of being overwhelmed or feeling bogged down and, and living in the negative um, of being a spoiled brat, because that's who I can be. He has started teaching me to focus on the beautiful side of things. And I'm a dreamer. And so I think part of it is like, I will make things up in my head that I think should be a way that I want it. And so I get stuck on that, that imaginary thing that makes my reality thing not look so great. Mm -hmm. And so he's kind of pulling me back out of the imaginary space. And showing me the beauty in my reality space. And that has been humbling and beautiful and just completely changed my perspective for my daily experience of life.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you really have been transformed in this season through the practice of gratitude. And you're seeing God in your reality. You're seeing God in a sunset. You're seeing God in the relationships with your children. Yes. And there's so, there's so much healing and gratitude. Thank you again, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming and being here with me today. It was such an honor and I have learned a lot and uh, have a lot to think about.
0: Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed talking with you.
1: Isn't Stephanie such an incredible artist with her metaphors I mean, a tumbleweed heart with nowhere to land and a confessional that looks like a garbage can and the imagery of a tsunami that wipes out the world as you know it. That's death. I really love the way her brain paints a picture for us with the metaphors that she chose. Thank you, Stephanie, for being willing to bring your pain into our world in a way that we can partner with people who've lost spouses or loved ones that are near and dear and i'm so grateful for you and your work okay so even even though all of those metaphors are so beautiful and i just want to savor them and and hold on to them as ways to help describe tough seasons i've actually chosen something very different for my transformational treasure today my transformational treasure today is the wisdom of rewearing pants. It's been a really tough season of loss on both sides of our family and in our church community over the last month. Sam and I have been to more funerals in the last month than we've been to in the last couple of years. And honestly, tomorrow, I'm wearing the same pants. Oh, and by the way... I wore these bad boys yesterday too. So let's be people who embrace seasons of grief by caring for one another and by wearing out our favorite pants. 8000 Promises is produced and published by me, Ad Tilford. I always wanna say thank you to my family for letting me pursue this dream for a little while instead of a working atypical seven to three teaching gig. Thank you to TIL Construction for financial sponsorship of the podcast I love making this podcast, and I'm hopeful that it's making a difference one conversation at a time. If you feel inspired to help this podcast keep going and reach more people, you can support me in that work by contributing even 99 cents a month. You can use the link in the show notes for that, and every little bit counts. I would feel so honored if you would partner with me in that way and together we can keep amplifying voices like Stephanie Jordan's. It's been quite the series. Next week you'll hear our finales. Tomorrow you can join Spencer Owen and I live on Instagram at 10am Mountain Time where we're going to grapple with some of the concepts that have been heard in this series. And then next week, you'll hear Sitting with a Cynic. Our conversation is going to be about amplifying voices from the perspective of a Christian and a non-Christian having a conversation. And then if you miss the live tomorrow with Spencer, it will be next Thursday's episode. And then it's a week off because it's important to rest. And man, I've been busting my tail on this podcast, two episodes a week for six weeks I know I'm going to be making some adjustments, and I'm looking forward to how God speaks to me in this week off and and the other things I get to pursue and relationships I get to focus on as I take a week off from podcasting and social media. May awesome things happen for you in this hard and holy day, my beautiful, beloved friends.